Patas. 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 Welcome to the Fart House podcast, where we watch the artsiest, fartsiest films, so you can pretend that you did. I am your host, Casey O'Brien, and I'm here with my good buddy, Peanut, a.k.a. Peach, <laughs> a.k.a. Patrick Mallon. Patrick, how are you? I'm doing very well, Casey. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm doing well. Um, still up in Minnesota. I, I think we need to get to some important breaking news here. It seems like we use the top of the show to talk about our reality television sort of updates. Yeah, yeah. And as of this recording, former Bachelor contestant Colton has a restraining order brought against him by his former girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, Cassie. Do you yeah. have any thoughts about this? I do. I think... Um... In some, I mean, it's it's kind of an ex, it's a pretty extreme and scary thing to happen, you know, without knowing all the, without all the details. Like even still, Cassie must have felt so deeply uncomfortable that she felt compelled to do something like this. And what may, what I think about a lot is, uh, like in reading this, this news is like seeing Colton's behavior in his season being yes i don't know like i don't know if we ever i mean i'm going to speak for you and i i don't know if we are like are the i feel like you know there's there's multiple types of the bachelor fan you know mm-hmm. just like like fandom of anything there's different kinds and i think um you know we watch it for out of this prurient curiosity sick perversion that we have (laughs) exactly this strange compulsion to i don't know watch people's lives unravel before us and you know so anyways that the the famous fence jump where where colton escapes jumps over the fence and it's like it it was like kind of supposed to be i don't know if that was supposed to be romantic or, or there was some a little background on this Colton's season was kind of infamous because he was a virgin and he was like 26 or 27 which is fine but he made it very clear that it wasn't because of a religious reasons he just wasn't able to get any woman to have sex with him prior to being on the bachelor which is fine it was a little odd and then he was and really considering into the, he was a um I don't think he was ever in the NFL. He kind But of he was like kind of in the NFL and he was like a college football player. So it, I don't know. Something was weird there. Yeah. I always felt. And at the end of the season, the woman he was most obsessed with was, was this woman, Cassie. And she broke up with him and was like, I don't want to be with you. And he like threw a hissy fit. He jumped mm-hmm. over a fence. Yeah. And then he kept pursuing her. And f- until she kind of like finally broke down, was like, "Fine, I'll be with you." You know what I didn't realize is the amount of pressure that like she was probably feeling from yeah. the production. Yeah, and so it's even more disturbing. the uh, the 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 news that came out was that he put a tracking device on the bumper of her car to mm-hmm. track her. And he did you see this too? He like made up a stalker. A stalker. That like basically that stalked her and then he said, oh, the stalker was stalking him too. But he really just made up this stalker. And he later admitted that he made up that stalker that was stalking both of them. That it, he, he in fact, was the stalker. Which seems terribly complicated. That seems like a lot of work to keep track of all these different characters in your life. Why is he doing uh, this? The thing is, I feel like with Bachelor dumb and like the show, one of the most problematic elements is it if is uh, a part of it is that in it, if a woman says no, it's like considered romantic and good for a man to push her until she says yes. Right. Like that's considered a good thing. Exactly. Patrick, was there anything else? I kind of steamrolled you there. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up before uh, we get into the show? Uh, not really. Um, other than, you know, I want people to take care of themselves during, you know, the whole, the entire West Coast is on fire as God. of, as of this recording. Um, apocalyptic days case. So you're in I your know. little enclave. You're, I sort of feel apocalyptic as well. Cause I'm like watching, I'm, I live in LA, but I've been staying in this cabin in the woods. So that feels sort of apocalyptic mm. in a weird way too. Cause we're so secluded. I don't know. Yeah. Dark days. The only thing keeping me going is this podcast with you, Patrick. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that was funny. I was yeah. jo- I So anyways, it's really smoky and hazy and just kind of generally gross and weird out. Even in San Diego, there's um Ugh. there's a there's a fire about 35, 40 miles from here called the Valley Fire. And so there's a little bit of haze from it, but not as bad as folks are experiencing in LA or Fucking other parts of California. Sucks. Oh, I just want to say in the episode that's uh, the uh, the the last episode, we made a joke about or like we talked about things that were silly 
and scary at the same time, like real life. Oh, yes. And you said it's like when someone dies from a gender reveal party. Oh. And <laughs> yes. I thought that was very prescient and eerie because this damn fire in California was started by a gender reveal. I don't know. I, we don't need to touch. I think we already touched on how bizarre that is. And I think everyone, I think almost like all the jokes about gender reveal parties have been covered. So I don't know if there's yeah. anything. All right, Patrick. So, t- okay, today we're talking about uh, Charles Burnett's My Brother's Wedding. We're going to run it through the fartsy test. Patrick will give it a drink pairing. And mm-hmm. at the end of the episode, we'll give each other notes to make the show better. Um, before, Patrick, I ask you this very important question. Uh, I think we should say I fucked up <laughs> because this was not the sh- movie we were supposed to discuss. No. And we were supposed to talk about Charles Burnett's first movie, Killer of Sheep, but I could, we could not find it anywhere online. No. Did you, did you look high and low like I did? High and low. Yeah. Very low. <laughs> and I thought it was on the Criterion channel, but I was wrong. So it's this strange isn't really... too because it's his... His most famous yeah movie. You'd heard of it, right? Yeah, I had heard of it. I had not heard okay. of my brother. I hadn't even heard of my brother's wedding, but I'd heard of Killer of Sheep. In fact, I remember it playing. Um, I remember seeing it at the, uh, not seeing the movie, but remember there the landmark. I don't know if they still have those paper circulars of like what's yeah. playing at the New Art. And I remember seeing Killer of Sheep listed as playing at the New Art in West LA <sighs> at some point, and. Well, I, was intrigued I, by I, <laughs> I screwed it all up. And uh, this so this isn't really a classic movie, but it's by an art house director that mm-hmm. we wanted to cover. So I still feel that it, it is. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's definitely an art house movie. Yeah. I mean, oh, it, yeah. you can't really. Definitely. So anyways, that's why we're talking about this movie and not Killer of the Sheep. Killer of Sheep. Um, but Patrick, do you own this movie? And have you seen it before? No. And I don't know if there's even, as far as I know, I don't even know if physical copies exist of this movie for purchase. Yeah. To the oh, I'm public. also mad at Criterion Channel because another one of his movies, which is a kind of a classic called To Sleep With Anger. Yes. I was going to ask you about that. the Criterion Collection, but it wasn't on the Criterion Channel. Okay. Okay. I, okay. I was going to ask you about that because I was like, why didn't we watch that? Because that, I mean, this was good. I mean, we'll get into the movie, but I was like... That one I get, I, I hadn't heard of that one either, but To Sleep With Anger was probably his most well-known, definitely his most critically acclaimed and Well, awarded. I guess I just didn't, we were already, we're already paying for the Criterion channel, so I didn't want to rent it. I don't know. I yeah. fucked up. I don't know what to say. No, no, no. It's I, totally fine. I think it's weird that it's part of the Criterion. I mean, it has to, the, all these things are so complicated. You know, there's all these legal issues associated with streaming and physical yeah. media and like what can be screened where and by who on what platform. But even still, I thought it was weird that, yeah, you can purchase the DVD or Blu-ray of To Sleep With Anger on Criterion Collection, but you can't watch it on the Criterion channel. Anyways, I wasn't disappointed to watch this movie, but that's just a little backstory behind Mm -hmm. a little pre-production chaos. (laughs) Patrick, let's get into the movie. Okay, let's go. So the movie we're talking about today is My Brother's Wedding. It came out in 1983, and it's directed by the uh, great black American film director Charles Burnett. Mm -hmm. Um, The New York Times has called him the nation's least known great filmmaker and most gifted black director. He's still alive. He's still working, kind of, but he's definitely an art house director that came out in the late 70s and early 80s. Yeah, Um, he went to to UCLA. And, you know, Killer of Sheep was his master's thesis for his uh, MFA at UCLA. Again, we did not watch that movie. Uh, but yeah, his like most famous film is his thesis film, and he was a young man in his twenties. And that that movie took a long time to release because it of uh, music rights. So that was kind of caught in release, like home video release hell. Oh. And so was this one. My brother's wedding has kind of an interesting history. After the success of Killer of Sheep, he made this, and he sent a rough cut to the New York. Film festival, I think. Yeah, it was like and, it was like adjacent to that. It was like New York Films First Directors. Okay. Festival. And they hated it, and so he wasn't able to finish editing it. Mm-hmm. And like the movie just died in like 1983, and only until a couple years ago he was able to reassemble it, and it uh, was then released. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has kind of two movies that were like in limbo for years. Yeah. 
which sucks. I know. I mean, that could do anything. Like, not only from, like, a career business perspective, but also, like, your psyche. Like, if you just have these, like... Totally. Two <laughs> movies oh that are, God. like, deeply... Per- I mean, I-, I guess most auteurs, farteurs, their films are, like, deeply personal. And uh, so to have, like, these works kind of be held up like this would just have to be so aggravating yeah i think you know it sucks too because i think if he was white like i think you made a mention on this on your letterboxd review that it reminded you of early martin scorsese yeah exactly. it does have mean streets vibes i think if he wasn't black this would have been he would have been a bigger deal oh yeah and i also think if he had come out 10 years later like when like quentin tarantino kevin smith uh Richard Linklater were kind of doing these indie films. He mm-hmm. also would have been a bigger deal. I think he was just a, a victim of his circumstance a little bit, which sucks. Yeah, exactly. Because you could easily see, I mean, especially watching this movie, it reminded, yeah, like you said, there's Mean Streets vibes. There's, um, what was, um, Clerks, who's that knocking even? at my door? Um, which I think is Scorsese's first feature, I think. But there's a lot of just like... Um, I don't know, verite sort of style yeah. um, filmmaking. And like Pierce yeah. kind of reminded me of, and I, maybe it's just because of, um, so the protagonist Pierce, he kind of reminded me of Harvey Keitel a little bit. And maybe that's just yeah. because of uh, my associations with uh, Scorsese, but I definitely kind of got those vibes, like early Harvey Keitel style. Yeah. And the other best friend character, Soldier, in My Brother's Wedding, reminded me of Robert De Niro yes. on the streets. Yeah. So there's some similarities there. Also, Pierce really reminded me of Dante in Clerks. Yeah. Yes. That. Okay. So I was thinking um, this morning before we were recording, I was, there's someone very distinctive that Pierce reminds me of. And Dante is very much that vibe. <laughs> like whiny little brat, bitch, adult man, you know? Oh, I'm curious to get in, into this. And I'm going to use one of, my, one of my cliches. I don't know if now is the right time to get into it. Wait, let me just intro and then we can get into it, okay? Fart. Patrick, let's get into the synopsis here. So Pierce is a 30-year-old. I was surprised he was. He reveals he's 30 towards the end of the movie. And I was like, oh, I thought he was like 22. Uh, Pierce is a 30-year-old black man, slacker kind of guy working at his parents' laundromat in South Central LA in 1983. Um, His older brother is the successful one. He's a lawyer and he's marrying into the wealthy Dubois family. And Pierce does not like the family that his brother is marrying into because they're kind of pretentious and they kind of show off their wealth. And he doesn't like that. I don't like those people. What on earth do you have against them? I just don't like those people. Oh, you must have some reason. I can like and dislike who I please. She parks her expensive car outside. People are gonna think we have money. And break it in and rob us. She walks around here signifying. I don't like people who've had it easy all their lives. Never had any worries. But to go back to what you're saying about Pierce, he is really whiny, but I mean, I could see myself in his shoes. He's very principled, mm-hmm. you know, on what he thinks is right, but he also doesn't do anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Like, he's definitely kind of a butthead. Yeah. And he kind of does give his parents a hard time a little bit. He, def- he definitely shows more... Like, when his dad talks to him, he seems to kind of take it to heart a little bit more because I think his mom can get, like, so exasperated with him. It's like, I did not raise you to be this way, Pierce. I didn't raise any heathens. I The mom is one of my favorite characters. She has some of the best lines in this oh, movie. Oh, she has so many good lines. I loved when she pushed him down the stairs and was like, You really showed your ass tonight. I love that. <laughs> yes, so good. Um, but back to Pierce... I, you know, he kind of reminds me of a modern day, like Bernie Sanders supporter online, just like <laughs> whining about, about principles and stuff and refusing to vote for Biden and, but just like not doing anything. You know what I mean? Those kind of guys, yeah. those snarky little annoying guys. But I just wanted to say one thing about this, the family dinner scene. That was one of my favorite scenes in the movie where the families are meeting mm-hmm. because, you know. Pierce's family is from a lower class and I think they're having a hard time adjusting and there's a part well they they serve like white wine at the dinner and Mr. Dubois says to Pierce's dad he's like do you not like the white wine and 
the dad's like, I would have liked to have had something stronger. Something like old granddad. I was like, that was really rude. I don't know. I thought. <laughs> and then the mom's like, he's fine. He doesn't need anything. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. I went, I went up and immediately poured myself a glass of old granddad as soon good. as he said that. That was good. That really resonated with me. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> let's keep moving on here. Uh, so Pierce, um, he's got a friend named Soldier, and he's getting out of jail. And Soldier's like a fuck up, and everybody in the community hates him. <laughs> yeah. And Pierce is a good friend, like going around trying to get to find a job for soldier. Yes. And everyone's like, I'll hire you. He's like, no, I'm asking for my friend soldiers. Like, oh, no, we're not hiring. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, he's like, hey, you know, my friend soldier. And he was like, and they're like, yeah, he should die in jail. We hate him. <laughs> and he's like, OK, never mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but soldier gets out and Pierce is really his only defender, even though Pierce is a horrible person. Or, I mean, sorry, Soldier is a horrible person. You know, you you meet his mom first. Well, you meet Pierce first. Yeah, you meet Soldier's mom. And Pierce is, you know, this is what I think where we see the real good in Pierce is he takes care of his friend Soldier, even though he's kind of irredeemable. And he takes care of Soldier's parents because, you know, they love their son. and, And so before we meet Soldier, it's like, oh, maybe this is just a misunderstood dude. He's just kind of, I don't know, he's gotten in some trouble, but maybe he's yeah. looking to turn his life around. And maybe Pierce thinks that about him, too. It, it's, it's just weird. But yeah, Soldier just, he's a shitty dude. Yeah, well, Soldier, and then, so as soon as Soldier gets out, he, like, gets in trouble with some local hoodlums, and they come after Pierce and are like, we're going to shoot your friend. And one of the most disgusting parts was when Soldier brings a woman back to the laundromat and the woman's like, what are we doing here? And he's like, we're going to have sex here. And she's like, I don't want to. And he rapes her. Yeah. Um, Remember, she's like, I'll pay for a motel. And he's like. And he's like, no. No. It was creepy. And this made me feel less good about Pierce, too, because Pierce was kind of like letting that happen. Yeah. And then, and then like, it, well, what's also kind of weird about it, too, is like, I don't know. I think this is something that we have better perspective on now, especially like our generation too. Cause I wonder, you know, if you're, if you're writing and directing that scene and then watching that scene when it comes out in the early eighties, if you view it the same way as now, you know, especially like how <laughs> to connect it to uh, the Colton and Cassie stuff, like what, like no always does mean no, you know, no should yeah. always mean no, this but was I think there's still bit- this pervasive notion of, uh, no meaning yes. No meaning a soft no. Or yeah. that it's malleable. Well, it was played a little bit for comedy, a exactly. little bit. But if in the credits, that woman is credited as rape victim. Oh, really? Did you oh, see that's that? interesting. Yeah. But, so, like, but that's what made me think of it. It is kind of played for comedy because they have sex on... Um, Pierce's mom's prayer book and she comes yeah. back. She forgets that she was going to church and she forgot it. So she comes back into the laundromat and sees them having sex on her prayer book. And so that was a, it was hard to read that scene. Yeah, it was weird. So anyways, soldier gets killed mm-hmm. in a car accident. So Pierce is trying to organize the funeral. He's trying to get pallbearers and he asked this one guy to be a pallbearer. And he's like, the the guy's like, when is the funeral? And he's like, this Saturday. And he's like, isn't your brother's wedding on Saturday? And aren't you the best man? And Pierce is like, oh, my God. And he races back to his brother and his brother's fiance and is like, you have to change the date of your wedding, which was absolute insanity. When is the wedding? Saturday. Okay, you have to change the wedding, you see? Because the funeral is Saturday. Boy, you better stop this bullshit. So I want to talk to you about this for a minute. Yes. Um, okay, so let's say so your brother is is going to be married and yes, I just found date? out recently I'm going to be my best my brother's best man at his wedding in next October. Okay, perfect, October 2021. Yes, and so now we have a perfect uh, scenario for you to play out. Well, I'm not yeah. dead, knock on wood, yet. But if you die, but if I died and my funeral was the same day as Shane's wedding, what are you doing? Brady's wedding. Brady's wedding. Sorry, Brady. What would I do? Yeah. You know, you're already dead. Yeah. So I think I would go to Brady's wedding. Yeah. That's where I came down to. That's where I came down to. Like at first I was like, 
at first I was like, well, it's just a wedding. And then I was like, well, if Casey was dead, like he's dead. He doesn't, I mean, let, let's say you do know, like I'm inclined to think you don't even know, you know, but let's say you are in some other world, heaven, yeah. whatever that may be. And you can see what's going on on earth. Would I haunt you? Would I don't think you would. I don't. I don't. I like to think that you wouldn't be that upset if I went to the wedding. If I went to my brother's I, wedding, I I condone it because here's the thing: you can uh, you can mourn a per, you can do your kind of mourning due diligence prior to a funeral. Mm-hmm. You can go to the family. You can be there for them and not be at the funeral. That's kind of a funeral is more of the public facing mourning, right? You know. But you can kind of do all your due diligence beforehand where with a wedding, the wedding is a single event. Right. You know, and I think Pierce was out of his mind. I know. that, And he doesn't ask the people to postpone the funeral because that is also insane. I think he realizes that. <laughs> he did kind of consider it like his dad. Oh, kind you of... knew he was thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He goes to the family and he's like, they're like, were you going to say something? He's like, no. It's like, yeah, we got family coming in from New Orleans and we got it all <laughs> figured out. Yes. It's going to happen. And he it, just kind sh- of... it should be said about this movie that they're all like non-actors. Mm-hmm. So the acting is a little stilted. It's, it's, it's that kind of indie film where the acting is a little kind of, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. It's Wooden. a very raw DIY sort of, I mean, it was shot on 35 millimeter. um, So it looks pretty good, especially for being like an older movie. Um, But it feels like it doesn't, I don't want to say it feels like amateurish because that kind of has negative connotations, but like it, but it definitely feels more like a DIY. It feels like a very independent movie. Well, I think the acting in particular. Yeah, the acting. Because I feel like it's well directed and it's well shot and the structure of the film is it feels accomplished yeah but well, it's super confident because for this movie like to move like it moves pretty briskly and not yeah a ton happens not that much happens yeah. yeah but yeah the acting is not great some are better than others but some are pretty abysmal <laughs> when i started the movie because the first scene is like maybe the worst where yeah. you're meeting the, I'm like, oh no, yeah, oh no. <laughs> I thought the same it's like, thing. I don't have time to see your baby. I need to go to Soldier's mom. Yeah, and I was like, oh no, 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 no. It but was it, it not was, good. It it, it 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 quickly took me away. Yeah. Like it quickly, I was okay with it. Anyways, so the day of the wedding on it's Saturday, the wedding and funeral day, mm-hmm. and. Pierce is whining at the wedding. He's like, I don't want to be here. I want to go to the funeral. <laughs> and the mom's like, no, I'm going to beat your ass. Like in the, yeah. in the church, she's saying that. <laughs> um, and there's a slight delay at the wedding because they're waiting for an uncle to show up. Yeah. So Pierce uses that opportunity to take off and drive to the funeral. Mm-hmm. The wedding starts and they're like, where's Pierce? He has the rings. And he shows it to the funeral. He misses it. <laughs> he takes the rings out of his pocket. He's like, oh, shit. You missed the wedding. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> what did you take away from that ending there, Patrick? Well, my immediate... All I could think about the last five, ten minutes of the movie were... I mean, the movie does kind of do a good job, at least from my perspective, it did a good job of like showcasing the tr- like i thought i found it to be like a real dilemma like a real rock and a hard place like because yes, he it, loved soldier like basically no one else did it really felt at the end of the movie you're like wow what the fuck How, like i was legitimately like what's he gonna do yeah i don't know it seemed like a tough decision and now that we're kind of like talking it through and after i was thinking about it after watching it and the next day it's like the more i think about it now it's just like he really i mean i mean you can't Put yourself until you're faced with that situation you can't really say how you're going to react or how you're going to respond but it seems very clear to us now you know monday morning quarterbacking yes like the the choice is clear but at that moment i was like oh my god that's so stressful and overwhelming and i wonder if he thought if he was worried um because i think soldier his friend would have haunted him had he not <laughs> tried to go to the funeral <laughs> the end of the movie for me was kind of like you could have done. You could have gone to the funeral. You could have gone to the wedding, but you didn't make a decision. You kind of tried to do both, 
And that's kind of reflective of his life. He's not really doing anything. He needs to take a stand and do something mm-hmm. to move his life forward. Yeah. That's kind of what I kind of took away from it. Well, I think something that's interesting. I mean, I think you and I both talked about this. Uh, well, no, we didn't talk about this. I saw this in your letterbox review. But this movie shows black people in a way that movies just don't show black people. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a slacker comedy movie set in South LA. And I was like, but it's also like heartfelt and tender. I just feel like you don't see movies made like this. Right. It's very um, day in the life and not with, with, not without any sort of um, like shtick. So to speak, you know, like the Friday movies, you know, like basically the Friday movies, the shtick is they're like stoner movies, you know? Yeah. Um, and those are straight out comedies. Right. And those know? are straight out comedies. Yeah. That's or like barbershop. Like those are straight up. Those are designed to be. Those are good. Those are good for their own thing, but they're not. I just feel like there's so many white versions of this type exactly, of movie. Exactly. Exactly. And there's so few black versions of this type of movie. And I think, you know, and it's not like it's outside of reality like this is taking place in south central la there's crime there's you know poverty but it's still a normal life right you know it's not poverty porn and it's not like gangsters trying to sell drugs it's just kind of a normal dude exactly and I found that incredibly compelling yes, to watch. Exactly. Because it is unlike exactly. anything I've ever seen. Because I think too, I mean, a lot of people too, they'll see um, movies like they'll see boys in the hood, which is like almost, I mean, it's a very good movie and John Singleton's an like excellent director. And I believe, which is insane. I think he was the first um, uh, black American nominated for best director or any, I any, think he's just the first black guy to yeah, be nominated first for best black director, person to be yeah. nominated for best director, which is insane because I was like 1990 or 1991. Um, and he was like 26. <laughs> was, there's a lot of weird stuff. You know, I met him at. Um, oh, really? Yeah. at When I was working at eFilm and I was working client services, making superstars. <laughs> Patrick, tell them about eFilm. You worked in L.A. at eFilm for a while. Yes, I worked at a, a digital intermediate facility, which the way that I describe it to people. And this is probably. This could be completely wrong. This is how I understood. I worked in client services, so I didn't do anything on the technical side. But basically, I call it like Photoshop for the movies. Like basically, like the director of photography, the director, cinematographer, post-production supervisor, whoever would come in and sit with one of the colorists and color the movie to give it a certain look or feel that maybe they didn't achieve when they were shooting it or maybe weren't setting out to achieve when they were yeah it was it's just like the new... coloring of the film kind of a yeah. finalization of the movie yeah exactly it's like the final realization of the director cinematographer's vision so john singleton came in as the director for this movie and i forget what it was called it was when hollywood was trying to make taylor lautner a thing beyond the twilight oh movies my god yes what was that? it was like i feel like it was like intruder it's like hidden wait let me look it up yeah it's, it's just something like one stupid. word <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, and so that... Taylor Lautner came in too, and that was a big deal because he had a whole entourage. And um, did he have his shirt on? He did. <laughs> I expected it to be off, but it was on. But I'm John Singleton right was now. a very nice man. Abduction. Abduction. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wow, and so yeah, so I guess they were trying to make Taylor Lautner a thing, and so John Singleton was the director of this uh, Taylor Lautner vehicle outside of the Twilight yeah. universe, and. I didn't see but it. But anyways, going back to Boys in the Hood, that's what you were talking but about. But yeah, but that's some, yeah, going back to Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood is a very good movie and it's unlike anything it was unlike anything that had ever been made at the time. However, there's also like this sort of um I don't know what the word is. It's just like like oh, you you actually there's like a poverty porn element to it. Yeah. Or just like this like it's um I don't know. John Singleton is showing the streets of LA, like as he knew them at that time in his life. Um, yeah. But there, it's important that, but we don't. And so I think a lot of people, that was such a big success. Yeah. And a lot of people in the movie world are white and a lot of people in the art house world movie are white. So they see that and they associate that as being like a universal depiction of that world. Yeah. And then you see a movie like this and it's like, like I said, like we were talking about before, it's like 
Scorsese in like the late 60s, early 70s in Brooklyn. It's like you don't get to see um, like a black Noah Baumbach or like yeah. um, a black Richard Linklater. It's, um, you know, a certain kind of film that gets to be seen and we don't get to see these kinds of movies. And that's because of all sorts of reasons, institutional racism and um, uh, institutional barriers that have prevented these kinds of stories from being told. Um, yes. So it's really. Did you, were you the one that said this was like Greenberg? Like yeah, I yeah. That he's like, like Pierce ben... reminded me of Greenberg. So much, I totally see yeah. that. Anyway, so it's just uh... really cool to see a movie that's that's not um, that it's it's like it's something familiar to us as like you know middle class white kids, um, something that's yeah. like familiar to us, but it's also a totally personal, um, personal movie and a glimpse of something that that we haven't seen for it's like fully recognizable but also um deeply unique too well patrick we should get into the fartsy test here because the listeners are just chomping at the (laughs) bit so let's let's get into the fartsy test here um patrick can you explain to our tens of listeners Mm -hmm. what the fartsy for new listeners what the fartsy test is yeah so old listeners will will recognize will recognize does it bother you i ask you to explain this every time no no it doesn't bother me Mm, it seems like it bothers you a little bit oh really did how can you tell just right now when i asked you you said no it doesn't bother me (laughs) my voice went up or (laughs) no it doesn't bother me (laughs) Would you prefer to? No, I do. I, I you like wouldn't. that. I okay. I guess my only thing is that here it is. Well, no, <laughs> no, never mind. What are you gonna say, Patrick? <laughs> no, I think because with the volume of new listeners we get each week, it's it's. I think it's reasonable to do this. So because of the number of maybe we'll get to a point where everyone on Earth is listening, and I won't have to do it. But until then, I'm gonna describe. Okay. Every week, for all of our new listeners, what the artsy fartsy te- what's the fartsy test is? It's a proprietary diagnostic test that we have created using mathematical formulas, algorithms, and we've comprised this test, this diagnostic test, with certain metrics. And what mm-hmm. it's designed to do is determine the fartsiness of a movie. Like how impenetrable a movie is or how penetrable a movie is. So a one, and so for calibration purposes, a one is your diehards, your Jurassic Parks. Great movies, but low barrier for entry. They're just fun. You you can pretty much turn your brain off, enjoy, have a good time. On the end of the the spectrum, you have the tens, which are, as you've referenced before, Jean Jean Dielman. Jean Dielman. It's basically a woman washing dishes for like four hours or something. Yeah. And um, or also the we've also referenced um, Bellatar, the Hungarian auteur, fartour. Uh, Which I wanted Sahamis. to interject here. Yeah. Satantago, his seven hour movie <laughs> is going to be on the Criterion channel. And I wonder if we should attempt to do that sometime soon. I kind of I kind of want to do it soon. I wonder if. um Oh, this is an ignorant question of me. Um, to I mean, this will be an inner for all of our true fart heads out there that are uh, real art house nerds like us. This could be a very embarrassing question to ask. But are any of his movies, Bellatar's movies, considered horror? <laughs> I don't think so. Because uh, you know, I... <laughs> I'm thinking about that in the context of Hooptober for all our horror fans uh, out there. Yes, which you do. <laughs> oh, I heard that. Well, the thing is, what's your I problem do, with Hooptober? Uh... Well, I do my own personal Shocktober where I watch a horror movie every day of October. And I've been doing that for three years. And then you're like, we should do Hooptober, which I don't understand the difference. And I don't understand why we have to praise Toby Hooper so much. (laughs) I mean, he's good, but he's not like what I think Wes Craven and John Carpenter make more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree with that. I don't understand why Toby Hooper in particular. I mean, a lot of people would say the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the greatest horror movie of all time. Well, explain what Hooptober is. So Hooptober is is basically like it's kind of like your idea of like Shocktober. A lot of people have like I've done this before, too. I've never had a perfect record of 31 movies in 31 days, unfortunately. But basically it's basically that. But there's 
additional rules and it feels like each year i've never done it before for numerous reasons but each year it seems like the rules get more and more convoluted like this year i think there has to be seven of the movies that you watch have to be second films in a horror film franchise and then i think it has to be six different countries six different decades um see four it's body hard enough movies. to watch 31 movies in a month i just don't want to do this yeah <laughs> but you know to each their own. Well, I'm kind of... Ch- I, I don't know if I'll actually get, get through this. And to be honest, it doesn't sound particularly fun. Like, I, I put together a list. <laughs> and maybe half of them on there I want to I want to watch. Maybe at Here's most the thing. half. The rest I will think just it's be hard. a chore. I think it's hard because I would consider you and I true horror fans. Mm-hmm. I agree. And we've yeah, seen so many horror movies that it would be hard yes. to comprise a list with such specifications at this point in our horror exactly. career. When I was putting it together, so, that's I was like these and horror movies are already you know they're considered a lower genre like they're like yeah. so much so that like when you say a genre film, it's pretty much connotes horror, yeah, or, it does. or like something that something that's basically not drama or comedy, basically, yeah. And um, so it just kind of already has this I don't know air about of it not being good movies, and a lot of them are really really shitty. Oh yeah, but some of them are just so fun too uh you know patrick i have to you're the one who got me into horror and i used to not like horror i like, know i remember this five years ago mm-hmm. i was a different person i know was i think you Much know what i despicable. think about was when it wasn't beyond fest but it was kind of a beyond fest associated event we went to, was this when you first started getting when we went to go see um was it silent night deadly night uh yeah i think that was that was early on but that was like a beyond fest adjacent right like it was the same producer i, I think it might have been like a mini Beyond Fest, but it was like yeah. different than the actual thing. Yeah. But no, that was, uh, yeah, around that time is when I started getting into it and mm-hmm. understanding. I love it. It makes me so happy. Um. Okay. So the first question on the Farty test, is there suicide? Um, no. 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 I would, say, I would say no. Are there inexplicable images that seem utterly unnecessary? Now, for the most part, no. But the beginning of the film starts with a man in silhouette like blackness like in darkness he's like Mm -hmm. a spotlight's on him singing the blues Mm -hmm. and that didn't make any sense it did not so i would say yes i would say yes too is the movie over two hours slash can you watch this after 8 p.m without falling asleep Mm, it's not over two hours i mean it's a little meandering so i think it could be a little tough Mm -hmm. yeah i think you could you could fall asleep during this if you if you were if you were experiencing any elements of fatigue it could it could lull you to sleep, especially at, like the beginning of the film. I was like, "Uh oh." Yeah. <laughs> you know? I saw the runtime and I was like, me. I was excited. I was like, "Oh, great, hour twenty, perfect." And then, yeah, the rhythm early on is just like it's kind of like slacker. Have you ever seen slacker? Yeah. It's just as like kind of monotonous. Like, okay, let's go. What are right. we doing here? And then once also, you settle wh- into it, it's it's fine. When I Googled this movie to see what the runtime is, on Google, it says it's over three hours long. Did you see that? No. What? And I was like, fuck. Oh, what no. What were you looking at? Google My Brother's Wedding. I don't know. It says Do you mind if I do it live on air right now for our listeners? Eh, no. Forget it. But anyways, I was worried it was really long. Whoa. I can I can confirm it says three hours and 11 minutes. It sent shockwaves to me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that it... Was not. The oh case. my god! Like I would have been minutes. livid with you. I would have been. Oh so... my god! I, well, because I had seen you had already seen it, and I was like, "Oh no, Patrick." Okay. Anyways, um, is the acting wooden and emotionless? This is a big yes because it's a lot of non-actors, mm-hmm. and so it's the acting is very bad. Yeah, it's like it's kind of it's like like I would describe it as like kind of like atonal. Yes. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but it's yeah, it's, it's not. Most of the acting is pretty bad. You know who we didn't bring up? Um, I mean, it's a very minor character, but I love... Remember this neighborhood girl, Angela, that has this huge crush on Pierce? Hi, Pierce. (laughs) Oh, this old thing. (laughs) And she comes by to talk about how she went to the Smokey Robinson concert. (laughs) And she's like, I like my boys pretty or something like that. And then she was like, in a few years, I'm going to the prom. Would you join me? And I was like, he's 30 and she's like 11. <laughs> I know, it was so strange. 
<laughs> it was very odd. I don't know what made me think about that. I think just like because she was Pierce. like I think her I think the actress's name was Angela too. So it just reminded just how oh, many okay. non actors, just neighborhood folks, were just included yeah. in this movie. I, you know who the best acting was in the movie is a woman we don't even know, but she's Soldier's sister, and she has to call her auntie in Mississippi to tell that Soldier died, uh, and she starts crying on the phone. Uh-huh. That and was, I was like, whoa, acting. <laughs> I thought Pierce's performance was pretty good though. Once he settled into, he was the... good. I liked him too. He was he was good, but there was some real bad acting, mm-hmm. but it added to the naturalism. Um. Is there an inordinate about a milling about? Ooh, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. This whole movie's yeah. milling about. <laughs> him just, like, walking around. <laughs> like, the movie starts with him, like, walking past a house, and this woman comes out and is like, come in and see my baby. Yeah. And he's like, I don't have time. And she's like, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's just him, like, in the like going through, like, the dry cleaning and closing up and opening up. and. Now, Patrick, I added a category, something we had talked about last time, but I just mm. went ahead and added it. I hope that's okay. Yeah, that's fine can't tell if it's fine uh <laughs> would you rather be reading david foster wallace now oh, this is this. in this is uh this was added after the uh rashomon because it was <laughs> we couldn't quite put our fingers on why it was so boring yeah like we needed a more boring category right you and know? it was like so, um it's like something that everyone says is good but yes you, but you don't really like why you know yeah so that's why I picked David Foster Wallace. Anyways, I think the answer for this is no. I was like you said, it kind of clipped along. It was entertaining, and I was pretty, I was pretty gripped by the act, like what was happening in the movie. Yeah, same. I think especially like the last third, last quarter of the movie, it's it's very engaging, very compelling. Yeah, and like um, we talked about before, like it's a very. Um, the situation that he's put in, you really do feel for him and you're kind of wondering like what you would do in that situation. And if a movie gets you to do that, I feel like that's, that's, that's yeah. Impressive. I mean, the, the end, like you said, you were like, what is he going to do? Yeah. I really wanted to know. Um, Patrick, this is another thing I'm adding. You know, last week I added the sleepy, the nappy time medallion for Rashomon. Yeah. <laughs> Does this movie win in any, any medallions in oh, your I estimation? About, I love this. I love this new thing. Um, The nappy time. I, I don't, don't really anything- have any. Yeah, nothing that I can think of. Because um, it's not particularly, it's unique in a way, but it's not, I don't think it needs to win any awards. Right, I don't think we need to go out of our way to kind of, I think it's, it should be something that should be obvious. And there's yeah. nothing obvious here in terms of medallions. Because I think I think a medallion should only be given when there's like a really intense uh reaction yeah. to the film like i think we could have given cleo nine to five no five to seven uh something because we both had a pretty intense reaction to that movie i don't know what that medallion would be but you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i do okay no medallions. Anyways, let's no medallions for this one but we we still liked it uh let's okay let's get to our scores here let me just calculate this up um okay okay i got mine Okay, I'm ready too. Should I go first? Yeah, you go first. I'm giving this a 5.7. Oh, I was 5.8. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. That just shows how locked in we are on this. <laughs> it really shows how thoroughly the, the fartsy test is working. It's really, I think it, the, adding that last question really honed it in. Yeah, it's humming along. Um, I gave it this because it's not hard to follow. But it's not a normal movie. No. It's an art house movie, definitely. Yeah. So it should be counted as thus. But it's not necessarily like... I think a normal viewer would be like, this was boring. Yes. Nothing happens. Right. I think most people would be like waiting for something to happen and then the movie's over. Yeah. So, yeah. That is the Fartsy Test. Wonderful. Excellent. So basically, um, our average score is five point seven five. Five point seven five. Yeah, round up five point eight. Make it mine. Okay. <laughs> make it mine. Make it mine. <laughs> okay. Make um, it mine. <laughs> now I'm just gonna Patrick, do that the rest of the time. <laughs> last week, you course corrected and put effort into your drink pairing. 
<laughs> yes, I did. You know what? Also, I don't think you necessarily need to pick the drink that you drank with it. But like after viewing it, you could be like, you know what would go good with this? Mm. You know what I mean? It doesn't need to necessarily be what you had. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. I just want you to open up that possibility. Okay. Because you might think the movie is a certain way and then you're drinking it and you're like, I was wrong about this movie and this drink isn't working. Uh Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea. Do you have a drink pairing? I love that. Yes. I made this drink called um, the American Trilogy. And my logic, basically, it didn't really have too much to do with what was in the drink. Um, So basically, it's called American Trilogy and it's um, orange bitters, rye, apple brandy, and brown sugar cubes. So it's like an old-fashioned riff. Mm. And I just just thought of it because... I don't know. This movie seemed like in just reading the synopsis, I kind of got a sense of, you know, family, America, generation. It's an American film. It's an American film. This could not take place in any other country. No. And I thought, too, you know, My Brother's Wedding, it just kind of has like connotations of, you know, a family and yeah, um, generational. I like the title, My Brother's Wedding. Yeah. There's something very, I don't know. I like that title, too. Specific. Yes. Very good. Very good, Patrick. Yes. Um, so the American trilogy. And I don't have any history lesson on it like I do with the Japanese cocktail. I think it's a I think it's a okay. newer we cocktail. Don't... It's basically just a riff on an old fashioned. But it was good. Okay. All right, Patrick. Notes for future episodes. We give each other notes to make sure this show gets better every single week. Patrick, do you have any notes for me? Mm. I feel like you always have really good notes for me. They're always funny. That's not true. And clever. I feel like you always have good notes. No, mine are terrible. I don't know what to say to you. You're perfect. I, I guess... have a note for you. Oh, okay. Okay, so there's been this kind of ongoing thing where you're saying I don't like basketball, <laughs> and your cousins came after me, and uh, it's really annoying. I've been watching nothing but basketball. It feels racially motivated, uh, as if I white. don't believe Black Lives Matter, which I do. And I just think this is just uh, some sort of... I don't know, conspiracy to discredit me somehow. <laughs> and I love basketball. It's a great sport. Uh, me thinks you protest sort of... too much. Oh, boy. Anyways, <laughs> it ends now. Just because my basketball team is the worst basketball team in NBA history doesn't mean I don't like basketball. Oh, poor Timberwolves. God. they're. I think they're the worst NBA franchise in the history of the NBA. I think they have that title officially now i think the clippers could have laid claim to that um, no not, not anymore but not anymore, not anymore. No. <laughs> we are like so far behind yeah it's pretty it's embarrassing terrible you, have, you guys haven't even say, have you guys won a playoff series we've won two playoff series but it was all in 2004 okay. we, we got to the western conference finals gotcha and that's the only year we've ever won any playoff series Wow. We're like, even a team like the Pelicans, they've had some success. You know, it's. And I wonder if um, the Pelicans, wait, they were the Hornets before, right? Yeah. That, those two are probably in the running, but I still think the Timberwolves are the worst. Yeah. I think you're probably right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Case. Well, yeah, I, I still kind of, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll think about letting the campaign to discredit you end. However, I feel like you did tell me you hate basketball a lot. Memory is a fickle thing case. Um, but no, I, do I have notes for you? I, I, I fucked up with the movie. You could have said that. Oh, fuck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Next time, pick a movie that we can actually access. <laughs> there we go. How was I to know, Patrick? <laughs> All right, Patrick. So next week, we're going to be talking about My Dinner with Andre, which is a movie that uh, is kind of like the stereotypical snobby movie for Americans. Mm-hmm. It's made fun of in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Have you seen the community? We'll, we'll talk about it next week. But have you seen no. the community episode where they make fun of it? No, I haven't. It's very They funny. also make fun of it in Waiting for Guffman. He has waiting, uh, My Dinner with Andre action figures. <laughs> um <laughs> So I'm excited to see this because this is kind of this is kind of one of those stereotypical art house movies. Oh my god! You know? Yeah, this so. would be a movie. This would be you know we've talked about movies that you would point to to be like the art house movie. This is definitely among the ones 
that you would point yeah. to and be like, this is an art house movie. <laughs> I'm very excited. Me too. To watch it. Um, well, that's the end of our episode. Make sure to follow Patrick and I on Letterboxd mm-hmm. at PR Mallon and for me at Casey Lee O'Brien. Patrick, we have some socials they should follow too, don't they? Yes, Twitter at Farthouse Pod. Engage with us, tweet at us, talk to us. Tell us where you're watching, what you're doing, what your day's Please. like. And then over on the Instagram front, it's at Farthouse Podcast. Um, sorry for the little distinction there. I think Twitter caps the number of characters you can use in your handle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you're watching but... like some reality television show and you're like, what can I pair with this? We mm-hmm. can help you. Yes. We Wait, can say you, you should watch food, drink or movie. Any of it. We can do any of it. Like if yes, you're watching help... Keeping Up with the Kardashians, we'd be like, oh, you should watch the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, there's a great quote that Werner Herzog has about uh, uh, Werner Herzog watches Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And I think his quote is like, the poet must not divert his eyes. It's something like that. <laughs> He's That's like, he has to watch what beautiful. the people are watching. The, the people. Poet, uh, Werner Herzog, one of the greats. Oh, just an incredible human um, being all around. But we'll anyways, one of his yeah, we soon. could pair, if you're watching some trash, we could pair it. But yeah, Farthouse Podcast, Instagram, Farthouse Pod, Twitter. Tell a friend, rate us on Apple Podcasts, get the word out there. We're a very small podcast. Mm-hmm. No one knows about us. If you tell one person, it's a huge help. Yeah. And I have to say, like, there have been, I'm really appreciative. One of your friends, um, Christian. Christian. Yes. Christian Duenas, producer at Maximum Fun. Oh, that was so sweet. So kind. I loved it. It made me feel so good. Um, My cousin, Sam. He said, he he complimented me on the show and he said, but don't call me Farthead. Oh, he doesn't want to be called a Farthead? Yeah. But that's just his own personal taste and he is a Farthead. Okay. Too now late, I'm all bro. stressed out that I call him a fart head on Instagram. No, I like that. I think it. <laughs> Maybe no one likes being called fart I hate podcasts that have names for their fans, so it's funny that ours are called. Oh yeah, maybe we should heads. just not use it. But it's it's it's, it's an okay. easy shorthand, though. You know, it is definitely. <laughs> so, anyways, show the uh, do, do all that stuff. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, and that's it. All right, Patrick, I'm gonna miss you. I'm gonna miss you too. Are we doing? Um, I don't know what I was going to say. I'm going to miss you. (laughs) I'm going to miss you. (laughs) All right. Bye. (laughs) Bye, Patrick. Bye, Case. Patas. Patas. Patas.